Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Well, today I'm going to talk to you about a very important subject. I didn't know much about this when I was growing up. I had never heard anybody really teach this before. But when I finally learned this, it became a great confidence to me in my own personal spiritual life. And so here we go. We'll get started, and I hope it'll be a blessing to you. There was a famous woman that lived in India for 50 years. Her name was Mother Teresa. Almost everybody on planet Earth has heard of her because she worked with the poorest of the poorest of the poorest of the poor. And she cared for them for 50 years until she passed away. But before she died, someone asked her this important question. Here's what they asked her. What is the worst disease you have ever seen? She paused for a moment. Imagine the reporter thought maybe it was AIDS. Maybe it was smallpox. Maybe it was leprosy, cancer, something. And, it said, and she sat there for a minute and she says, the most worst disease I have ever seen. And she said one word. Here's what she said. Loneliness. That's not what I would expected the answer to be. But I think that is one of the most common things that hits human beings all over the world in various degrees and at different times and seasons in your life where you feel like you are all alone. Even though you're a Christian, even though you're a believer, you know God is there, you just can't see him for the cloud and the fog that seems to be between him and you. And you feel like nobody knows what I'm going through. Nobody knows what's happening to me right now. I don't want to tell anybody. I, I just am all alone. And that's a terrible thing for you to be. That might describe you today in that condition. If you're a person far from God, you have no relationship with God. This has probably hit you many, many times. But when Jesus was here, he used a very interesting Aramaic word in his prayers. Never before had God been addressed this way, where he called Father God, Abba. It's A-B-B-A. Say that word with me out loud. Ready? Abba. That's what you can call Father God, too. Because the word simply means Daddy. Amen. Papa. A close term of affection between a father that you know, that's cared for you, that's protected you, that's given you that. Some of you weren't raised with a father like that. I'm so sorry for that. I had a godly father in my life. He died way too young at age 49. But when he was young, when I was a kid, and I, my father was a perfect representation of Father God for me. It was easy to make my transfer in my mind over to a Father God watching my earthly father be the way he was. And that's what you dads can do right now for all of your kids, is have that kind of an attitude toward them. But in Romans 8.15, it says this. It says, the spirit you receive, the Holy Spirit, when you become a believer, does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought you your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, and say these words with me out loud, Abba, Father. You can cry out those two words anytime. Any place, any way, as loud or as quiet as you want. Because he's always there and always available. Why? Because he wants you in sonship or daughtership, in relationship with him. That's a beautiful thing. Now we're invited to pray the same thing because this reason. Listen carefully. He chose you. He chose me to be a part of his royal family. 
And listen, there ain't a circumstance in the world that can trump that. When you understand that and you really believe it and you let that sink down into your heart and soul, nothing that can happen to you can beat that because that's going to be forever with him. And this life is only X amount of a time between the moment we're born to a few years later we're gone. But this is a beautiful thing. We're chosen. I like it that we were chosen. I have friends that worked in another ministry with me before I left that ministry, and their names were Brian and Rachel. And they, all, they had natural children, but they always felt in their heart they were supposed to adopt. And so they went to China, and they started a process. The process took 17 months to go over and finally adopt a beautiful little Chinese baby girl. And later on, they found out she had a brother, and they went months later to go back to get him. Their names were Gracie and Gus. And when Gracie and Gus came into our church, I look at those two kids, and in my mind, I, I didn't say it to them out loud, but I said this in my heart, you kids have just won the lottery. There's a million orphans in China. And out of them, they picked that one and this one, and they chose them to become their son and daughter. And they brought them into a relationship in our family. And I thought, that's a picture of me. I was out of a million billion. And God chose me to become a part of his family. And I'm so grateful that he did. And we never ought to get over that truth. Why did God create us? He created us for relationship. To be in friendship with us. To be with us in covenant. Chosen with him as he shares his divine life with us. That's unbelievable news. But we often forget it. We don't think about it. We get so mad at what's ever going on in our life that we push this away. And we got to let that thought dominate. Gladdy, I've known a lot of people who lost their husbands in my life. I have never seen a person like you who said, even though I lost my dear beloved husband, Larry, I'm still going to praise God, trust God, and believe God that he knows what he's doing and he knows what's happening, and one day I'll see him again. And you've kept that so positive in your life, it has touched my heart to watch your actions and reactions. Aren't we glad for Gladdy, her spirit about this? I've been to a lot of funerals. I've never been one quite like that. Where she knows and all those kids, when I saw all those kids in white T-shirts, about a thousand of them. They went all the way across the place. I thought, man, how many kids are in this family? A lot. But you know what? They're all sons and daughters of the Most High. And they realize that Larry's today rejoicing around the throne of God. He's looking down upon us. The Bible says there's a great cloud of witnesses. My father and mother are there. They're watching me. Hey, Dad and Mom. Good day. Thank you for watching today. And that's the true statement relationship. Now, here's the interesting thing. When Jesus was here, he chose 12 people, 12 men to become his disciples. Now, that's just as Father God had chosen the 12 tribes of Israel in the past. He chose these 12 men. And here's what Jesus told his disciples, which probably was stunning for them to hear. He said this, you did not choose me, but I chose you. In the ancient world, you became a disciple by seeking out someone to follow. The student would select their teacher. That's like if you come to this church and you've seen Roy here, you might have thought to yourself, I'd like to know him more. And you get with Roy after a service and say, could we have lunch? He said, sure. And you could tell him, Roy, I'm a new believer, and I want to learn kind of what you have. Would you please prayerfully consider taking me on as a disciple under you to learn and be trained by you? Anybody can say that to any believer that you want. Because it was the student who, suck, who sought out the person they wanted to follow. But with Jesus, he upset the rabbinic apple cart. 
He said, I'm going to go choose who I want. And he said, I want you fisherman. I want you tax collector. I want you this, that, and the other. And he picked people to join his group or a ragtag group of people who often had zero in common. And they became the 12 disciples. A beautiful thing. He put them in covenant with him. I love that. He said, follow me. Don't follow my ideas. Don't follow this ritual life. Follow me. And so that's what we need to be doing is following Jesus and following God and what he has for us. Now, how do you know if you're really chosen by God? I've used this illustration before. I think when we were in the old building on Wade Hampton, but I'm going to use it again today because it fits so well to what, right now. How do you know you're chosen? It's kind of like this. Imagine a great door here, and on this side of the door, it says simply in words, the Scripture states clearly, whosoever will may come. In other words, you, anybody can walk through that door. If, are you a whosoever? Absolutely. I, I want to be saved. I want to accept Jesus as my Savior. I open the door. I walk through. When I get through, I'm on the other side. I look back on this side, and it says chosen from the foundation of the world. Now, I didn't know that when I walked through the door. I thought I was making the choice. I'm my, own, I'm my own general. I can decide what I want, what I don't want. I'm deciding to go through that door. Listen carefully. It's God who gave you the desire in the first place to walk through the door. He gave you the faith to believe. He gave you somebody, something. He put something inside of you that caused you to want to change where you've been to what you can become. And so all of a sudden, you walk through the door. And on this side, you realize that God chose you all along to be in his forever family. And that's an amazing thing. I love that. Here's some other scriptures that say that. Look in John 15, 16. What does it say real clearly? You did not choose who? Me. But I chose who? You. And appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Amen. Ephesians 1, 11. Look at this one. In him we are also what? Chosen. Chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. 1 Peter 2.9 even says, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood. My wife has a tattoo. It's of a star of David. Hold your hand up, Becky, wherever you are. It's right there. You can see it right there. Often people ask her, are you Jewish? She says, no, but I've been grafted in. I am. I've been chosen by God to be a part of his royal family. And she uses this as a way to witness. Let's all run out today and get some Star of David's put on our wrist, you know. Not telling you to do that. Now, it's funny that relationships, the more you're in them, go deeper and downward. And when you go deep and downward, you often get dirty in a relationship. It can be, relationships can be messy at times. There was a pastor in rural America long ago named John Ambrose. Wood. He was the father of famed author that was Catherine Marshall. He spent his entire ministry serving in the poorest parts of our country. And one day he called on a member that worked for the B&O Railroad that had just come home from work. And he called on him and extended his hand out to greet him. And the man who worked there just got home and said, I can't shake hands with you, Pastor. My hands are too grimy. John Ambrose reached down and got a bunch of coal dust on his hand, put it on there and said, how about now? I said, yeah, because when you love people and you serve people, sometimes you have to get dirty with them. You have to get down with them where they are to bring them up to where you and God wants them to be. And I like that story. It's beautiful of Jesus. What did he do? He humbled himself and became flesh and blood just like you and me. You talk about him getting down and dirty. 
He left the, the portals of heaven to come live on this earth and experience everything that we experience like this today? Absolutely. That's an amazing thing. So he chose us so we could know that he was like us. When he was here, you could hear him, you could see him, you could touch him. And you could be, he knew that he was one like us. And after those 30 years, he was crucified, and then he ascended. And now the Holy Spirit comes, and then Christianity exploded out of Israel and has gone all over the world. And here we are sitting today still talking about it. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. There are Christians all over the world today taking communion, doing it in remembrance of Jesus. So do it like he said. We did it today. Now, what are some of the metaphors in the Bible that talk about this? There's a lot of them. Here's one, a father's child. That's who you are. A shepherd's sheep, that's a good one. A groom's bride, that's what we're called. A husband's wife. There's nothing quite like being in love. When I fell in love with Becky many, many years ago, next year it will be 50 years we've been married. It's been like a perfection, like heaven in our life every day. of. No. <laughs> that's not true at all, is it? But how did I get her? Well, we were in a youth group together at a church, and one day I saw her, and I thought, hmm, I believe I like the looks of that gal. I'll find out more about her. So I chose her out of the great multitude of young eligible ladies that would have loved nothing better than to go out with me. <laughs> and I said to her, would you like to go out on a date? And she humbly said yes. And so she said yes, you know, over about 60 years ago, I guess 55 years ago, and today we've been married almost 50 years. I chose Becky. She chose me to go along with me. And that's a beautiful thing when that happens. Nothing quite like that. On the other hand, there's nothing quite as painful, listen carefully, as not being chosen. A 10-year-old girl once wrote in the newspaper, remember the column that was called Dear Abby? Anybody remember that? Not many kids there. Like, what, huh? They don't know what you're talking about. A newspaper? What's a newspaper? It's a bunch of papers with stuff in it. People don't even read it much anymore, but this lady would write advice columns every day and put it in the paper. A 10-year-old girl wrote in and said, Dear Abby, all my life, she was talking, she's a 10-year-old girl, all my life I've been chosen last. Won't they just hang a sign around my neck that says reject? Last one to pick gets me. You ever felt like that? My son, Aaron, when he was a senior in high school, wanted to go to Duke University. He had a stellar record in high school. He played sports. He was musical. He was in student leadership. He was an exchange student overseas into Asia, spent some time there. A, person, a lady from Duke actually came to our house and sat with us in our living room and talked about how wonderful it looked like Aaron was on this resume and all the stuff he's done. We think it's just going to be great when he comes here. We're going to be able to help you out financially. It was about a million dollars, you know, to go there. I mean, so we're going to be able to help you financially and get him all there. It's going to be a great experience. And we just thought, this is great. Until he got a letter in the mail that said, uh, we just want you to know that you will not be accepted into Duke University this year. I thought Aaron was going to die. He, brought, he opened that letter and brought it into us and showed it to us and was crying. And I thought, what happened here? I mean, it, it looked good. It, it, don't you think, Becky? It looked, it looked pretty good to us. He didn't get in and he wasn't real happy about it. He was sullen for a, quite a while. He had to go to his second choice, which was Furman University. He didn't want to go there because it's too close to Greenville, too close to home. I didn't want to go there. But that's where he ended up going. But when he went there, guess what happened? He married his wife. They've given us great-grandkids. 
He made friends of a lifetime there. After about six months of being there, he finally changed his mind and said, maybe God had a different plan than me. But he didn't get chosen. You ever applied for a job you didn't get? You thought you'd get it. No, I didn't get that job. And then sadly, women, have you ever had a husband that left you? Chose you, then rejected you? Left you alone? Now you got kids. How are you going to take care of these kids? Rejection can be something that's a difficult thing to feel. Several years ago, I went from being full-time on staff to a part-time job. Needing another part-time job, I talked to Mark Lynch, who was the president of Jeff Lynch Appliance Store. I had volunteered to teach there for a couple of years, teaching a morning devotion to all their employees. And after I went to Mark and said, I'm going to be looking for a different part-time job, so I may not be able to come and do this anymore. Here's what he said. He said, would you be interested in coming to work here with me as a company pastor, and I will pay you? How much did you lose on your last job where you went part-time? And I told him and put a little card across the table to him. He looked at it and said, oh, we can do better than that. And I said, why don't you pray about that? Here's exactly what I did. Watch carefully. God said yes. I'm not kidding. Yeah. So now I'm the company pastor. I have business cards, got my name on them. It says company pastor at Jeff Lynch Appliance Store. I, teach, I got my, my employees over here in my cheering section here that are with me today from Jeff Lynch. If you need something, you can talk to them after the service. <laughs> but I get to work at this great store that's a Christian-owned company and visit people. I have, and I walk, when I work on the floor sometimes just for fun, I have divine appointments with people. I've prayed with people. I've counseled a guy for three hours one time about family situations he was going through. That's rare, but I can counsel people. I can talk to people. I can bless people. I get to be a part of the team. I, Mark chose me to do this, and it's, for the last 10 years I've done this, it's been the most fun job I've ever had. Now, I never grew up thinking, I just can't wait till I get a certain age to go work in an appliance store and sell, sell refrigerators and stuff. But that's where I get to be. It's amazing to me. I love this. I, I, and so it's an incredible thing that I get to do this. In, in Genesis 12, God calls Abraham to become the father of the Jewish people. And in Genesis 12, 3, it says this. It says, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. All peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. This does not mean that the Israelis were God's favorites or there's some exclusive insights on a fast track to heaven. In God's plan, here's what this means. When you are chosen, you should bless me. When I am chosen person, I should be helping and blessing you. And that's what's true about them. Israel was not chosen instead of other nations, but for the sake of other nations. It was to show them who God was really like in the group of a people. It would cause them to want to be like those people. And you find so many times in Scripture, particularly in the New Testament, where the Jews were so inbred and so tied about their own belief in God, the true God, they didn't want Gentiles to be a part of this. And they had to break down a lot of cultural barriers before the missionaries began to go out from Jerusalem, and then finally in Judea, Samaria, and then finally the uttermost parts of the earth. So, so the fact that we're, we're all here today, many of us Gentiles who've been grafted into the family of the Jewish people. They were created to be that nation to shine the light to every other nation. And I love that. About, I love the Jewish people. Being chosen shouldn't make you proud, but being chosen should make you more humble. In the early days of the New Testament, John the Baptist was a big deal. 
He was out preaching on the Jordan River to multitudes of people. He was dressed up in some strange garb of camel hair and a leather belt on. And what's fascinating, if you go back and you read 2 Kings chapter 1, that's exactly how Elijah dressed. So what he was saying was that Elijah was in the Old Testament as a prophet. I'm dressed like him to symbolize I'm the prophet in the New Testament prophesying that God's going to send the Messiah now. And so he was preaching and great crowds were coming to him. But when Jesus appeared, he baptized him. And then people started following Jesus. And the people that were working for John the Baptist said, hey, they're following this new guy now. We we, want to follow you. You're our guy. And here's what John the Baptist said. Verse 26 of John 3. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, the man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he's baptizing now and everyone is going to him. John's response, I love this, 3.30. John 3.30. Read with me out loud. He must become greater, I must become less. Wow. Being chosen by God is not grasping and taking, but being humble and learning to let go, which is very hard to do, but crucial to learning to have trust and faith like we just got through singing about. That answer probably shocked his followers because they were shot through with envy wanting what another person has and feeling badly that I don't have it. Proverbs 14.30 says this, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. James 3.16 says, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, you will find disorder in every evil practice. Maybe John was tempted to get his people back, but he absolutely knew his mission in life was to baptize Jesus and then get out of the way. That's what he was called to do. It was his cousin. And so here's what he said to these guys in verse 29. He says, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and now it is complete. I'm just the bridegroom. Jesus the bride. And so he's the one now I'm going to follow and you come and follow him with me. And that was a shocking thing for them. Now in ancient Israel, the word friend was called the Shosbin, H-O-S-H-O-S-B-I-N. Today, we'd call that person the best man in charge of many details of the wedding. On the first night, here's what the Shosbin would do. He would guard the tent where the bride waited for her groom, and it would be dark, but he knew his voice. And when he heard his voice coming down the path in the dark, the Shosbin would move and get out of the way and open the tent. For him to go in, the groom, to get his bride. John the Baptist said, that's what I did with Jesus. John's joy was the joy of the groom. He must increase, but I must decrease. My wife and I chose to have three children. The three children we chose to have are now very grown. And now we have 11 grandchildren. They chose 10 of those to be boys. One of them a girl. (laughs) We chose half and half, but we did not get what we chose. That was our preference. What did you have? A boy. What did you have? Surely a girl. A boy. What did you have? A boy. A boy. A boy. A boy. Lord, do you have any girls out there that you can give to our family? Until finally we got one. But we got ten boys. Wasn't my choice. Wasn't what I preferred, but it's what happened. That's what happened in our family. So we got a lot of good-looking guys. If you got a bunch of girls, you come by my house. We'll let you get hooked up with them. (laughs) They're looking for husbands one day for sure. But I'm very proud of each of my kids. We were just out in Colorado with my son, Aaron, a few weeks ago. 
and saw a couple of his. He's got one at Auburn, one at Georgia, two still at home in Colorado. He's a worship leader at New Life Church out in Colorado Springs. And so we got to hang out with them. And then we get to hang out with my other son, who's down in Clemson. He was a pastor before, and he's not now. He's doing building trades now. But he's starting a church in his home. And so he's a great guy, too. His name is Adam. Then we have Angela, and she lives here in the Greenville area and has three boys. And she's the one that had the one little girl. So we get to see our kids from time to time. And I love to watch these kids grow up and to see how they parent their kids. And I hope that we've given them lots of good advice over the years. They say we have. I hope so. But when, I was, I, when, I, when they were young, I was given some bad advice. Here's the advice I was given. Listen carefully. Treat them all equally and fairly. That can't be done. I didn't know that. I thought it was. We tried to get everybody equal. Everybody, he's got one, you get one, you get the same. Everybody gets the same amount of time. Amount of, it doesn't work like it. Here's something better. This is better revived. Treat them all equally and fairly. Equally. That you're equal to me. Though things might be different. You might like this. You might like that. You don't want to go here? That's fine. I remember because I played musical instruments when I was young. I was a piano player. And I thought, man, we're going to make sure we get our kids music when they get older because that's something every kid needs. So I put my daughter, Angela, into a class to take flute and uh, when she was at Southside Christian School. She came home to practice. It sounded horrible. <laughs> we listened to it and listened to it and thought about it and thought... I don't know about this. We went to her teacher, and I asked the teacher this. Listen, answer me truthfully. She said, okay. Am I wasting my money? Here's what she said. Yeah. <laughs> Guess what? I went home and told Angela, break the flute. We don't need that anymore. You don't need that. Now, she was great in some other things in life, but she wasn't the flautist. Wasn't going to be that in her life. You got to find out what other kids need and what my other son, Aaron, was incredibly musical. When he graduated from high school, he wanted a guitar. He was a good keyboard player already, kind of could play by ear. And he asked me for a guitar. I bought him one that was, I think it was from Walmart, called an Oscar Schmidt. It was $150. I heard him back in his room one day after about two weeks playing like music. And I went back and opened the door. How did you learn to play all that? He said, see that chart on the wall? I bought that chart. You put your fingers here to play G, put this one here for C. Here's how you play E minor. He said, I learned that and now I can do this. And after about two weeks, he sounded like he'd been playing for five years. And I just saw a musical talent all over this kid. Now he's a rep for Petros guitars, which are custom made that cost $25,000. He looks at me and laughs today about the Oscar Schmidt. <laughs> but I started him on the musical journey, but I didn't with my daughter in music. Wasn't where they were headed. And here's some good advice. Treat, love and treat them all uniquely, uniquely. That's how God chose you, and that's how he loves you is unique. You are precious to him as his son, as his daughter. And so no matter what goes on, just always say this. I, God says, I chose you. Tattoo that on your brain. God didn't choose you because he thought you needed it. He chose you because he wanted to. And so he chose you to come walking through that door. And now you're on that door with him forever. And that's good news. You can take it to the bank. Now, I'm going to end today by doing something I don't really ever do this much when I preach. I think this is the only time I do it is when I talk about this subject. I'm going to read you a short story. 
This is a short story, which is amazing to me. It's a letter appearing in a book by a guy named Dan Taylor called Letters to My Children. And Dan, the author, is writing to his son, Matthew. So he's writing him about something he's, a story, that something that happened to him that might help his son. And so listen to this short story, and uh, we can have, then, then we'll be done. Okay, here it says this. Dear Matthew, when I was in the sixth grade, I was an all-American. I was smart, athletic, witty, handsome, and incredibly nice. Things went downhill fast in middle school, however, but for this one year at least, I had everything. Unfortunately, I also had Miss Owens for an assistant teacher. She helped Mr. Jenkins, our regular teacher. She knew that even though I was smart and incredibly nice and there was still a thing or two I could work on, one of the things you were expected to do in grade school was learn to dance. My parents may have had some reservations about this at first, but since this was square dancing, it was okay. Every time we went to work on our dancing, we did this terrible thing. The boys would line up at the door of the classroom, and then one at a time, each boy would pick a girl to be his partner. The girls all sat at their desk. As they were chosen, they would leave their desk and join the snot-nosed kids who had honored them with their favor. Believe me, me, the boys did not like doing this. At least I didn't. But think about being one of the girls. Think about wanting to get picked. Think about seeing who got picked before you. Think about worrying you'd get picked by someone you couldn't stand. Think about worrying whether you're going to get picked at all. Think if you were Mary. Mary? Mary sat near the front of the class on the right side. She wasn't pretty. She wasn't real smart. She wasn't witty. She was nice, but that wasn't enough for me. Mary certainly wasn't athletic. In fact, in fact, she'd had polio or something when she was younger, and one of the arms was kind of drawn up. She had a bad leg, and to finish it off, she was kind of fat. Here's where Miss Owens comes in. Miss Owens took me aside one day and said, Dan, the next time we have square dancing, I want you to choose Mary. She may have well have told me to fly to Mars. It was an idea that was new and inconceivable that I could hardly even barely hold it in my head. You mean pick someone other than the best? The most pretty? The most popular? When my turn came, that's like breaking a law of nature or something, isn't it? And then Miss Owens did a really rotten thing. She told me it's what a Christian should do. I knew immediately I was doomed. I was doomed because I knew she was right. It was exactly the kind of thing Jesus would have done. I was surprised, in fact. I hadn't seen it on the Sunday school flannel board yet. Jesus choosing the lame girl for the yeshiva dance. It's got to be in the Bible somewhere. I agonized. Choosing Mary would go against all the coolness I had. That day came, we were to square dance again. If God really loved me, I thought, he will make me last. Then picking Mary will cause no stir. I'll have done the right thing, and it won't cost me anything. You can guess where I was instead. For whatever reason, Miss Jenkins, Mr. Jenkins made me first in line. My heart was pounding, and I knew how some of the girls felt when we would choose them. The faces of the girls were turned toward me, some smiling. I looked at Mary, and she was half turned to the back of the room, her face staring down at the desk. Mr. Jenkins said, okay, Dan, choose your partner. I remember feeling very far away, and I heard my voice say, though I don't know how I said it, I choose Mary. Never has reluctant virtue been so rewarded. I still see her face undimmed in my memory. She lifted her head, and on her face, reddened with pleasure and surprise and embarrassment, all at the same time was the most genuine look of delight and pride I had ever seen. 
before or after. It was so pure I had to look away because I knew I didn't really deserve it. Mary came and took my arm as we had been instructed, and she walked beside me, bad leg and all, just like a princess. Mary's my age now. I never saw her after that year. I don't know what her life's been like or what she's been doing, but I'd like to think she has a fond memory of at least one day in sixth grade. I know I do. It's something to be chosen, isn't it? Yeah, but I'm not the smartest. God still loved you and chose you. I'm not the best at anything. God still loved you and chose you. I'm not. Don't tell me what you're not. Makes no difference. If you're in his forever family, you've walked through that door. He's chosen you here. And you're on this side. And that's a great thing. Now, you might say, I'm not there yet. What a great day to realize right now. And your heart's probably saying, I want to be chosen by God. If that's true about you, you can come forward at the end of our service. We'll have some prayer servants here that would love to show you from the Bible how you could simply walk through that door by faith, pray, and receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Now you're on the right side, chosen from the foundation of the world. Come join the rest of us that are already over here. We'd love to have you here. And that's why we're called Outreach Church, because we care about people far from God. We support missionaries. We support waymen. We support people over in, where are they go? Where do the people go? Africa. Yeah, we support people now going over to Africa. We, we love people that reach people wherever they are with the truth of the gospel. So wherever you are in your sphere of influence, you can be outreach church to them anytime you can. Because of your faith, share what you have with someone else who doesn't know what you know. Choose them to know the truth that you know. Give them the truth. Give them a chance. And when they say, I want this, and they pass through, then they're on the right side here. Then you can hug and embrace them and say, welcome to the family of God. So if you're a born-again believer in Christ, that's, a, that's good news today. But if you're still over here thinking, I don't know, I'm not, I've been struggling with stuff and depression and different things, and they've hit me, and I, and I, I just need to be reminded once again how great it is to be chosen by God. End of the day, if you want to pray with some people here that will help you cement that thought and tattoo it on your brain, you can come down here, and they'll be glad to pray with you too and lay hands on you about physical issues, spiritual issues, any prayer request you have. That's why we have prayer people who come at the end of a service. So let's all stand up, and let's have the prayer servants come on down. And they'll be standing here at the front. And as we close in prayer today, and we're dismissed, you just come on down, and they'd love to have some time to pray with you about anything that's going on in your heart or into your life today. And so let's close in prayer. If you just extend your hands, I'll pray a blessing over you, okay? Father, for every hope in hand, I pray that you would help their heart and their minds today to just help them remember and remember and never forget that they've been chosen by you and how special that is. So today you are their father, Abba, Father. We cry, Abba, Father. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for loving us and bringing us here to this point in time in our lives. No matter what storms are around or what circumstances we're under, we're going to never lose the fact that you chose us today as your son and daughter. So dismiss us now with your mercy and love and grace. Give us a wonderful week ahead and bring us back safely next week. In the name of Jesus, we pray today. Amen.